0: I'm really glad that Jake missed my finger it's wonderful to have four fingers left we're continuing in 1st Corinthians 12 so please take a Bible last week I spoke on just the early verses in the chapter Today, I've decided to finish off this section. So we're on page 1785, and last week, I believe I dealt with the first 11 verses in that book. <clears throat> Let's pray. Gracious God, as we open your word, we have children here today. We have diverse group of people here some maybe for the very first time and they have not been able to perhaps keep up from week to week on the direction that we're going so please especially help them to get something from this sermon and i pray lord that through the mystery of preaching that your holy spirit will convict each one of us and lord the conviction that i ask for is at least we understand how you've equipped us for service and for ministry and help this church body to know exactly where each one of us fits in so that your church can go forward with power and strength here at Anderson. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Those of you that were here uh, last week hopefully can remember a little bit about the context of what is going on in this church. Very talented church, a very gifted group of people, and yet totally divided. Divided into at least four groups. All of this is mentioned in the first chapter, so this is just by way of summary. And I believe the reason that Paul mentions gifts, um, especially in this section here, is because of the problem Christians, if we're gonna call them that, the problem people or teachers, probably emphasizing tongues to the exclusion of the other gifts. This is a church where members put members down. Do you want to belong to a church like that it's more common than you might think we have very clever and very subtle ways of doing that so it's very important that we as, as a people have the antenna up that we realize what is god's ideal for the church and we always aim for the ideal and i know some have said in reaction to russell burrell's book well it's just not just not realistic to believe that everyone um, discovers that what their gifts are and, and uses their gifts to God's honor and glory. Well, I don't think God makes mistakes. And I do believe, you see, we allow our culture to influence our thinking. And what we need to do is, is allow the Word of God to influence our thinking way more than our culture. So if our church culture is that most are passive, while a few are active, do you allow the culture to shape the church, the direction of the church, or do you go to the word of God where where the word specifically says that everyone who is in Jesus Christ is gifted for ministry? Which one is it gonna be? And it's always a conflict between either the thinking of the world or the thinking of our culture or even the limitations of our own experience. There's not too many of us here who have had visions like the Apostle Paul and and seen God in paradise, right? Am I right or am I wrong? And those of us that have not had that experience we don't want to sit in judgment on God's Word when it tells us that there are people who have had those visions. In other words, we don't want to limit the hand of God just by our own personal experience. Here in 1 Corinthians 12, he talks of one body with many parts. And remember, as we're discussing this, the reason it's written is because of the problems in the church. Most of what we learn about the early Christian church and the way that they worshipped is because there was a problem. We don't have somebody sitting down and giving us, like, a manual of worship. We just don't have that. God didn't think that was important that we have that. People worship in different ways in different cultures, right? Any of you that have traveled the world and worshiped with Seventh-day Adventists know that they keep the Sabbath very, very differently. In some parts of Africa, they, everybody, or the ladies that come to church will be very, very colorful in their dress and sometimes they might march into church with some, someone banging on the drums. Do you want to try that at Anderson? As long as we don't crucify the drummer. But the point is, very different ways of expressing our worship to God. And that's okay. So one body, many parts, there's the diversity and diversity, I believe, is very, very good. So the body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though, it, and though all of its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. So he's lightening the human body, using it by way of illustration to make a spiritual point about the church family and Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit into one body. Right? right? Only one Holy Spirit. And there is something called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't want to get hung up on terminology because that is very much understood in different ways. But the hallmark of being a Christian is not that you have a church building that you worship in. It is not that you go to that church building. It is not that you pay tithes and offerings. There are lots of people out there in society that put a whole lot more money than you and I have into supporting different organizations, right? The hallmark of being a Christian is that you are born of the Holy Spirit. In another place, Paul says, if we do not have the Holy Spirit, we are none of His. We are not linked to Christ. This is the way that He links us up with Him. We talked about the head, Jesus being the head, and the church family being the body, and that through the nerves and all of the different parts of the body, the energy, the flow goes from the head, from the Godhead, to the church. So as soon as someone believes in the Lord Jesus Christ and trusts in Him, we are looking for transformation. Now admitted, that transformation can, can appear different. Some of it will be people going on a road to Damascus and seeing a bright light in heaven and then be, be, being blind for a number of days and some mystical born-again conversion experience must have happened. I don't know when. Was it when he saw the light? Was it when he heard the voice? Or was it when he was in isolation and blind? I don't know. It's not important to know. It would be interesting to know, but it's not important to know. The important thing is that as soon as Ananias anointed him and God filled him with the Holy Spirit, then he's out preaching Jesus. There's the fruitage. There's the evidence that there's been a change. So we all should have that, whether we've been brought up in the church from being a child, whether it's somebody like myself as a teenager that's come from a very worldly background, we all should know that God's Spirit is in control of us. And we should talk about that more than we do. And we should rely more on God and His Spirit than we do. So here, in verse uh, 13, we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, through one spirit. Whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, we were all given the one spirit to drink. And the one spirit, the third person of the Godhead, is the one that can bind us together. So that's going to be something that's going through all of these verses. now. If we're all anointed by the Holy Spirit, why don't we all agree on everything? That might be tricky to answer, but I think this is biblical. If we're willing to lay aside our prejudices, if we're willing to put self to one side, self is a real tyrant, isn't he, in the Christian's life. So as, and we we learned this from Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians this morning, as we grow in faith, did you catch that when you studied that this morning? Faith is not static. As we grow in faith, as we grow in love, remember in chapter 13, he's going to talk a lot about love because they weren't being loving to one another in the church of Corinth. I'm sure that some of them were. But it was known as a divisive place to be. So, as the Spirit helps us to grow in faith and in love, as you and I get clearer pictures of what Jesus is about, as you and I are willing to to have a humble disposition, as Christ did, He should be the model parishioner, the model Christian, the model pastor, don't you think so? The closer and closer we get to the ideal the more in harmony we're going to be as a people now you'd think at pentecost because it specifically says in the text that they were united as one in spirit do you remember when we went through the book of acts well we know pretty soon after pentecost that there were a whole whole lot of issues that cropped up where they didn't exactly, Peter wouldn't even eat one day with the Gentiles. I don't know if we can understand the impact that made on those early Christians in Antioch. It must have been devastating. One day, he's eating, he's fellowshipping, he's probably preaching sermons that they're all one in Christ and the next day he's denying it with his body language. Sure, he didn't preach a sermon that they're not one in Christ, but you can tell a lot about people by their body language, right? So, unfortunately, or fortunately for the sake of us, the Apostle Paul confronted him face-to-face publicly and set Peter straight on that one. The hardest thing in the world, The biggest issue in the New Testament is to bring diverse people together as one. It runs through all the New Testament. Verse 14, now the body is not made up of one part but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts of the body, every one of them, just as He wanted them to be. Who did the arranging? God. God has done the arranging. God has done the arranging way before we form any committee to do the arranging. But are we sensitive to that arranging? Are we seeing God at work? Or do our prejudices stifle some people playing their role in the Church of Christ? Do we really believe in, in an equality of service, in an equality of ministry? Or do we still have the idea in our head That someone's up here, and someone's here, and the whole rest of us are down here somewhere. And when we're down here, we have a pecking order too. That's how most churches are. But most churches are not supposed to be that way. If we're biblical, if we understand what Jesus even said to the disciples, Master, we've got a prayer request. What is it Jesus said? That we may sit on your right hand. Totally ignorant of what Christ's kingdom is all about. And there's many in the church who are ignorant still, in the Seventh-day Adventist church, about what Christ's kingdom is all about. This is a global movement. It was hard for early Adventists to understand that, even though Jesus said it. Not just Judea, not just Samaria, but to the uttermost parts of the earth. Somehow that part slipped by. So to get them out of Jerusalem, he allowed persecution to come. So there's another aspect of persecution which we were studying this morning also in Thessalonians. Not just to correct us, not just to discipline us, but to get us out of our comfort zone. Most pastors and church members are totally in their comfort zone. And God will do things, if necessary, to get us out of our comfort zone. Expect Him to do that. Happened again in Acts chapter 6. The apostles were doing a ministry that they really had no business doing. There were other people that were equipped to do it, and they were given very specific instruction by God on what they were supposed to be doing. So when they realized that, this is in Acts chapter 6, we've preached about this before, when they realized that, then they said to the people, to the church family, you choose seven men. Remember that? You choose seven men and let them do this specific ministry. We're supposed to be giving ourselves to prayer, to preaching, and whatever else they emphasized. So again, there's another example from the book of Acts on how we had misdirected service and ministry. Well, pastor, weren't they doing good? Yes, they were doing good. But maybe others could do it better. Maybe God would want them to do something different. What they really were equipped for Not what they were not equipped for. So the good news is that they were flexible enough as leaders to realize that they were on the wrong track, and these seven deacons seem to have done uh, an okay job um, with that. Verse 21 The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. The head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. There have been times when the medical establishment has said, "Eh, we don't need this appendix. Let's just get rid of the appendix. It's just the leftover from our evolutionary days. Ever heard that? So they cut people's appendix out. And then 50 years later, or however long it is, they suddenly realize, well, hey, the appendix, or what are the other body parts that they want to cut out, has a function, a viable function. It's in, it's in the body for a reason. We may not always know what that reason is. It might take us 50, 100 years, 200 years to figure it out but it's there for a reason. I don't know about you, but I don't have enough parts to cut off. So I'm holding on to my parts, what about you? Think about your church family. There are some people here that they're not so visible. They're not gonna be up here on the platform preaching sermons or teaching Maybe not even up here doing announcements. Tough to get them up here for a prayer. Do they have a place in the body of Christ? Yes, they do. And they don't just have a place, they have an important place in the Church of Christ. This is another hard lesson for all of God's people to learn. There are some gifts, and I would say preaching and teaching certainly fall under that. If we have members that have the gift of miracles, if we have members that have the gift of healing, they will tend to be the more visible, showy gifts. Just, it's just the nature of the gift. But there's a lot of people who work behind the scenes. My wife does not like to get up here and talk. English is a second language. That might be part of it. Maybe she is a little shy, that might be a part of it, but for whatever reason, she much much prefers to work behind the scenes. Susanna, who I mentioned a few minutes ago, same way. All of that is fine and dandy. It just takes recognition on your part and my part that that is so, that people are equipped and wired a different way. It's all the one spirit, right? But he gives his gifts accordingly, as he sees fit. And then he goes on to say in verse 23, the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. The parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. I don't think I'll go into that. While our presentable parts need no special treatment, but God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it that there should be no division in the body but that its part should have equal concern for each other if one part suffers every part suffers with it if one part is honored every part rejoices with it imagine joining a church you've never heard anything about spiritual gifts you've never heard this metaphor of the church being the body of christ and Jesus being the head of the body. Um, and by the way, this body language is nothing new. Paul didn't originate it. It's, it's out there hundreds of years before Paul ever said anything about it in, in, uh, in literature and so on. But he's just piggybacking off this idea and using the human body as an illustration of spiritual truths, and I think it works very, very well. But it's really hard if you're joining a church and you, you, you come to Christ, you hear the gospel, you respond to the Lord Jesus Christ, you know nothing, nothing at all about these things. You've not read a book on it or e- even uh, maybe you lived at a, a point in time when these, the New Testament was not even formed. And suddenly come, someone comes along, a church elder or a pastor, and says, uh, we're going to talk about spiritual gifts today. the person hears it for the first time. They get really excited. This is exciting stuff, don't you think so? Why do you look so glum when I preach on this? This is exciting stuff. Somebody is finding out about how God has equipped them. That's exciting. First time that uh, I ever understood these things, it was very exciting to discover your gifts and and uh, figure out uh, what you're supposed to be doing and maybe what you're not supposed to be doing. I still find it very, very interesting uh, and, and really exciting when you start to see church members who discover these things and start actually functioning in ministry. But what if you're in the church of Corinth, you hear about these spiritual gifts, you hear about service that's being done because they're talking about it as a church family and you're thinking, Where do I fit in? Maybe there's somebody in the audience this morning who's thinking that very thing. Maybe maybe you're you're just about to join our church. Maybe you're just visiting our church today. Maybe you've been sat in the pew here for 20 years and still don't know where you fit in. All All of these are possibilities. And then you see somebody with the gift the gift of all gifts, the gift that really shows who God has blessed the most, who is the most spiritual person in that church. And if you remember my sermon last week, what is that gift? In Corinth? Jesse, my hearing isn't that good. Do you know what it is? What is the gift? What is the gift that's being used to put other people down? To put them in their place? The gift of tongues. Now that doesn't come through totally clearly until chapter 14. But it but tongues is mentioned in chapter 13. And remember that these were not written in chapters. So this is one continuous thought. So you're about, you're trying to figure out where you fit into the church and you've got a bunch of people that are speaking in tongues and they're doing a few other things that you feel is a bit strange. They're cursing the Lord Jesus Christ. That's kind of weird. Didn't know that Christians are supposed to be doing that. But hey, they have the gifts. They are the spiritual ones. And as I said last week, these were probably Jewish Christian Gnostics. Gnosticism was a huge problem in the second century of Christianity, but we see it also affecting the church even in the time of Paul, which is about the middle of the first century, just like an early form, a simplified form of Gnosticism. Remember the Gnostics uh, spoke negatively about the body so either they were very strict with the body in the sense that they would fast and, and do um, extreme things with the body or they were very liberal. The whole point being the body was immaterial. It really doesn't matter what a Christian does with their body. The only thing that counts is the spirit. Well, haven't we already said this morning that we all drink of that one spirit? So it's very easy to to kind of fall in the ditch one way or the other. The Bible is not negative on the body. The body is a gift of God. Behold, He made everything good. We should have a high view of the body. Don't we believe in health reform? Don't we have a health message? So of all Seventh-day Adventists, we should have a high regard for the human body and do what we can to take care of this body That we have, but do you see how easy it is? With just maybe a wrong emphasis or an overemphasis on the spirit, then it's very easy to fall in the ditch of saying the body is really not very important. So you're trying to figure out where you fit into that local church in Corinth, and these church members are making a huge, noisy, big deal about tongues and you know you've not been given the gift of tongues. you maybe have figured out by now that you have what would be considered some of the humbler gifts, the less showy gifts. And don't be surprised if someone in the church tries to put you down. I don't like those kind of churches, do you? I like the kind of churches that Paul is trying to move this church in Corinth in the direction. We believe that there were three letters to Corinth. This is a huge problem. The first letter is lost. If you want to go on an archaeological dig and find it, keep me informed of your progress. So what we call the 1st Corinthians is probably 2nd Corinthians. What we call 2nd Corinthians is probably 3rd Corinthians. And we also have a letter by a man called Clement. Have any of you ever heard of Clement? Clement apparently knew both Paul and Peter. And we do have some of his writings that have survived. And he wrote a letter to Corinth. I think that was uh, AD 90 or something like that. So, Corinth, as talented as they were, had a lot of problems because they're getting all these letters trying to correct them. And I don't know if the church of Corinth ever became the church that God wanted it to be. I don't know, and sometimes you might wonder, why would God give them all those gifts if they're such a stubborn people? Well, why is He giving it to you and me? We gotta learn, and it's a gracious thing on His part. Do you remember that? We learned that from Ephesians. It's a gracious thing. This morning in, uh, on Thessalonians, we talked about grace and peace. Paul always seems to use those words when he writes a letter to Christians. Well, here's another evidence of the grace of God, that he gives even stubborn, cantankerous, inflexible church members spiritual gifts. And he does expect us to exercise them in the correct way, not in the wrong way, as was being done by some in Corinth so that we build one another up. Just imagine it in the Anderson Church. If we esteemed one another better than ourselves. No amens on that one. It kind of puts it the finger right on the rub, right? You think of others not just as far as their gifts, but in every way better than yourself. We're not saying cleverer than you, we're not saying better looking than you, but we are talking about the heart of Jesus now. And if each individual member, each one of us, has the heart, the spirit of Jesus, we will figure out under the unction of the Holy Spirit how to work with one another, how to esteem one another, how to build up one another up in the church. I was um, looking through one of our studies on this that we studied in 1998, it's a while ago. And here's some of the pointers that came out of these verses that we're looking today first thing on the agenda one spirit I've already emphasized that second point no one is to be proud or conceited. so those that had the gift of tongues which Paul in chapter 14 goes on to explain is not the most important gift and whenever you see the lists of the spiritual gifts tongues is usually near the bottom of most of those lists it's a valid gift it is important if you have the gift to exercise it in the right way and often that somebody will need the gift of interpretation to go with that so no one is to be proud or conceited we are to respect and honor one another recognizing the one spirit behind in and through every gift totally different perspective than the world where they're stomping on one another to get ahead where they're putting one another down i sometimes wonder why people want to be president of america we have an election coming up in november i'm not going to tell you how to vote it's none of my business how you vote some of you ask me how will you vote pastor I don't get that privilege. Do you know why? Yeah, because I'm not in the, I'm not in the, I don't have the right status to do that. And I don't get the privilege to sit on juries either. So it's not my business to tell you how to vote, but I think of how, how hard these people work to get into these prestigious offices, and then once they're in, offices, in office, pretty much almost everyone else, so it seems, wants to put them down. It's hard to be a leader. You have opposition from many, many angles coming at you. And you have, as far as Christianity is concerned, of course, And and actually I hope also the President of America that you have to be in touch with the Almighty and feel that He is gonna work through you. Also the point is made, no unity without diversity. We've talked about that. Let's celebrate our diversity. This we haven't spoken about. And here's what it says. Only as the church has members from different ethnic groups only as it is mixed instead of uniform is it the body of Christ. Only then does it really have unity. So let's welcome the growing diversity of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, and praise God for His work in our midst, and also allow the Spirit to use this diversity to Christ's glory. And then finally, let's respect one another. Some of you in 1998, studied that. Now I'm going to give you an illustration. It comes from a church growth expert. His name is Carl. And though this man is not a Seventh-day Adventist, many Seventh-day Adventists respect him because he seems to understand what he's talking about. So this is in in a book that was doing the rounds many years ago called Empty Pews, Empty Streets. And this is what caught my attention. It says, uh, because Anglos are still the vast majority of the country's population, this was written in 1988, one of the Adventist Church's critical needs is to develop methodologies to reach this population better. But for the present, at least, your growth is among minorities, which is not not unique to Adventists. So the same challenges that we have, seeing pretty much minority growth, is common to most churches, most denominations. Indeed, half the currently winnable people appear to be in immigrating and ethnic minorities. If you were to start two new churches, you should expect one of them to be either black or Hispanic or Korean or Asian. When I was in Oakland, I had a multi-ethnic congregation, and the only side of that congregation that was truly growing and growing pretty, at a pretty fast clip were the Hispanics. The black churches in Oakland, the Adventist black churches in Oakland, were not particularly growing. There was a lot of transfer growth going on there, not really conversion growth. The Anglos or the whites were pretty much dead in the water, not much growth there. And I really didn't see much Asian growth either. But he says here, and I think you're finding the fruitfulness to be in just that proportion as you work for these minorities. This creates a completely different but equally vexing dilemma. I tried to get another denomination, so I've chosen this one so you won't feel that I'm beating up on any one denomination or anything like that. He doesn't mention which denomination it is. That's not the important point. He said, I tried to get another denomination to consider seriously evangelization of a large minority in its area. There were 24 or 25 churches in this denomination. When I suggested how they could establish 25 daughter churches among minority groups within a decade, so there's a plan here's an idea from carl george to plant 25 new groups within 10 years minority groups well how do you think the denomination responded positive or negative but isn't it all about extending the kingdom isn't it all about winning souls So why wouldn't we want to win souls amongst minorities? It says they slammed the door quickly. They did not want minority growth. I wondered why. I thought of my meager education, my inelegant approach to problem solving, because they were a very sophisticated group. But soon I realized that addition was all... All one needed to know in order to understand why they rejected my advice. 25 plus 25 equals what? <laughs> You're not very good at math? I'm not. 25 plus 25 equals 50 versus 50, he says here, is political control. These leaders were unwilling to take the chance that 10 years down the pike they could be outvoted by their children. If it meant keeping the door of heaven closed to 25 congregations of people, then let them go to hell. Now they didn't say it that way, they just could not imagine that God would do such a thing. Since God runs an orderly universe, God would not upset their little apple cart, they were quite sure of that. There are bittersweet aspects to the rapid growth of your church among minorities, talking to Seventh-day Adventists. The sweet part is souls who are brought into the kingdom and into contact with our precious Lord. The bitter part is that the control of your resources must be shared as the church becomes larger. Minority churches are not nearly as well off materially as Anglo churches are. They do not contribute as much financial help but they constitute an enormous potential in souls, and they want a greater say in representation in the governance of the church. There's a lot more interesting things that he says there. I've actually seen two very strong examples of what he's talking about there, or at least something close to that. One when it was when I was in Oakland, and we had what I will call a control group who had seen the glory days of the church, who clearly were putting the money in to keep the church going, and had control, very, very strong control. And the growth of the Hispanics was a serious threat to that control. And I think they knew it. Maybe they didn't verbalize it quite that way, but I think subconsciously they knew it. And I was the new pastor coming in, and to get the message that we want the Hispanics out was like cutting the heart out of that church family. That's where the children were. That's where the youth were. That's where the growth, potential growth, was. And they did move on. And they did well, they prospered. Like a teenager leaving home at the right time, they did prosper, God prospered them. So we can always bring a blessing out of a negative, a positive out of a negative. But how sad, how sad, that you and I possibly are not willing to give up influence, power, control, even when God is powerfully working. In such things as females, minority groups, even children. How would we react as adults if we saw a moving of the Spirit of God amongst our children? Would we be flexible enough to know what the appropriate response would be? Here's another example, maybe a more extreme example. Cicel and I once uh, worked in England, in a place called Birmingham in England, probably the second or third largest city in, in the nation. And um, when I was joining the church, this is around the early 1970s, um, we used to see just at first, so I'm told, there were just a few um, few people coming from places like Jamaica, Trinidad, and so on. But then Britain opened the doors and allowed people in the former Commonwealth of England, of Britain, to come to the country and take up certain jobs. Most of those jobs were menial jobs, but they were jobs. They paid. And maybe there wasn't a whole lot of work in Jamaica. So so people came in droves. And in, And I don't know if you know this, but in Jamaica, Uh, Places like, islands like Jamaica, there are a lot of Seventh-day Adventists. I'm not just talking about a lot, I mean a lot of Seventh-day Adventists. Like on every, uh, like a church on every street corner type of thing. So, so obviously these people visited the local Seventh-day Adventist church. Well, in the local Seventh-day Adventist church, this is staunchly white people, English people. They are the ones who would put the money in. They are the ones who would put the buildings up. They are the ones that call the shots. And when a few of these Jamaicans trickled in, no, no big deal. It's like the mission story coming alive, just great. But when they start coming in in large numbers, and when they want preaching like they have it in Jamaica, not like they have it in England, And when they have this very outgoing personality, the English tend to be more reserved. English pretty much not inviting their friends to church. Jamaicans definitely inviting their friends to church. You don't need to be a brain scientist to figure out which way this is going to go, right? So when I I visit my home church where I was baptized, when I was baptized, it may have been uh, at the most 50-50. In diversity. Now it's 99.9% uh, mainly Jamaican. This, this was a huge paradigm shift for the church. In fact the general conference president got involved because many of the immigrants felt that they were not being treated the right way and it led to what we call the white flight. It's happened here in America, it's happened in Canada, and it's definitely happened in Britain because I've seen it happen in Britain. A lot of the whites would go out to different countries and the the immigrants coming in would end up running those churches. Now, God moves in mysterious ways, right? We might feel threatened We might feel challenged in fact i expect god to upset status quo because unless status quo is leading to growth and fruitfulness in the church things need to change right that seems to be common sense none of you would run a business If you were doing things in a certain way and it wasn't leading to profits, you know you would not survive. Your business would not survive. You would have to mix it up and change certain things. So it should be in the church of God too. Today, when I visit England, and I'll be there pretty soon, we still have a tremendous problem in the church members working together Diverse church members working together and then you have a massive white English population That really is not being evangelized at all Who's at fault? How would you figure out? But unless you have flexibility and can always walk in step with the Spirit You will find that you'll be left behind and that's what I see happening In some of the church situations that I'm talking about, or this other denomination that Carl George talks about, who just were not willing to pay the price of growth. So, when we have his sermons and we read in the scriptures, go into all the world, preach the gospel, and make disciples. That's the imperative for all of us to make disciples then realize it's going to cost you something. Not just financially, not just time-wise, but it'll cost you something in your head as far as God challenging you to maybe be flexible, react quickly to given situations, to grasp opportunities when they are there. I'm always amazed in the book of Revelation where he says, if you don't do this, I will remove your candlestick. Remember that? Candlestick is a symbol of the church. Your church will cease to be if you do not respond to the the voice of Christ, to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Go into that part of the world where the seven churches were and find me the Christian church that has continued to exist from the first century, and you won't be able to find it. What you'll find is Islam everywhere, and Christianity hardly even getting a look in. It's amazing what you can get out of these verses. Don't you think so, Jesse? All right, let's wrap this up. If one part suffers, verse 26, every part suffers with it. One part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Let's be, con- let's be uh, convicted and make sure that we honor every gift that God gives to this congregation and every person that exhibits that gift. Now, you are the body of Christ and each one of you is part of it. Do you believe that? Have you experienced that? Mm, not quite so sure. And in the church, God has appointed first of all apostles, second prophets, third teachers, in, in Ephesians 4, he mentions pastors and teachers, it doesn't mention that here, it just says teachers. Workers of miracles, also those having gifts of healing, those able to help others, those with the gifts of administration, those speaking in different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Emphatically, no. It just doesn't say that in the text, but it implies it. No, but eagerly desire the grady gifts. And now I will show you the most excellent way. And that way is what? Love. So the whole chapter, which Ellen White says we should read every day, we should also memorize it till we live and breathe this stuff. And when we do experience that kind of love, this place will be one powerful place to be people will come and say god is in your midst that's something to work towards let's pray gracious god we thank you for your goodness and your love we thank you for the gifted one jesus christ seemed to have every spiritual gift lord maybe some that we've not even thought of or mentioned but he used them always for your honor and for your glory And to bless humanity lord i pray so much that we here at the anderson church can be like jesus the way we speak the way we act do everything we can to build one another up in the faith this is our prayer in jesus name amen remember the uh nominating committee needs to meet in the classroom thank you